0: So, we are studying, continuing studying the life of David, and we are in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, and so, as you know, David has now uh, resided in, in Jerusalem. Uh, he is there. All of the wars and the, the sieges, in terms of his life brought by Saul, have come to an end. Um, he is basically, he has brought the Ark of the Covenant. He has brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. He has put the Ark of the Covenant into a tent. uh, And now he is devoting himself to try to give God the kind of house, a temple that God deserves. He has a strong feeling uh, about this. And so we're going to study exactly how his heart focuses on God and how he wants to serve God. And this is a great lesson for us because what you see here is a man who has had unbelievable success think about this this was a a, a boy who was a shepherd was shepherd who God's blessing came on and eventually has become the king of Israel and 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 so all of the honors and the glories that come as a result of that that situation you would think that the average man would have his head filled with that and would lose his zeal for God. And yet you don't see that with David. If anything, as he gets closer to God, as God blesses him, he he focuses more on serving God. What can he do to elevate God? What can he do to, to bring God into the kingdom? And what a lesson this is for us, because what what you see in our world is that for many of us, as God has blessed us and poured blessing into our lives, that so many of us Wind up never darkening the church anymore, uh, and I, I always laugh about that. I see, you know, people that God has given a certain amount of affluence. Well, where are they? They, well, you know, he's on his boat, or uh, you know, he just joined that expensive golf club. They have a big outing today. He's uh, not not able to be here, uh, and and so many influences in our lives that detract from from God, and yet you don't see that with David. You see him as king and focusing like a laser on worshiping God. And so this passage that we're going to study today is going to show a lot about how God deals with David, how God honors David. And we're going to hear about the Davidic covenant that God makes with David that effectively promises that the Messiah will come through the very lineage of David. One of the great, great, great prophecies In the Bible. So if you have your Bible, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. What an incredible amount of of, of prophecy is is in this statement. And you see God speaking directly directly, uh, to David, uh, and so here you see the the beginning of the Davidic covenant, the promise by God that David's kingdom would rule forever. Well, folks, there's only one way the word forever can be promised, and that is if God Himself is in the promise, and the kingdom will will be ruled forever because Jesus will sit on the throne of David. Jesus coming through the lineage of David, uh, who will ultimately ascend to Jerusalem, and rule all the world uh, through that procedure. And so what do we see here? We see, first of all, that that as David is at this point, he's focusing on the fact that he's sitting where God put him. He is in peace. He's in a palace. And yet he sees the Ark of the Covenant is out in a tent. And while that wouldn't bother a lot of people, it bothers David, uh, because he knows what God has done for him. Uh, And so what we see here is the incredible love that David has for the Lord. Uh, And you know, when you read the Psalms, you see effectively the Psalms become love songs, but they're love songs to God about how great God is. Uh, And that comprises much of the book of Psalms. And so David is overjoyed to have the Ark of the Covenant sitting there in, in Jerusalem, and he wants to honor God and lift God up. David also feels guilty at the same time. Uh, he, here he recognizes that God has placed me here, but am I elevating God? Am I honoring God commensurate to what God has done for me? And so you see this. He believes that he can't do that if God is dwelling in a temporary tent. How can the God of universe be uh, in, a, in a tent? Uh, and so all of, this, all of these thoughts are in his mind as he goes forward. Uh, and the fact that he no longer is actively engaged in combat, it it gives him a period of repose where he's now focusing on these issues of his life. It's like as we get older, we've focused on our lives. I know many of you here, uh, now that you're retired, you're focusing on what's the rest of my life about? What am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? What's the call of God on my life? I really believe it. That that's almost what David is going through here. He's fought the wars. he's served God. He's consolidated Israel. He's united Israel. Now he's sitting there, And now the question is, what about the rest of my life? And so many of us find ourselves in that situation now. What does God want you to do with the rest of your life? And let me just make an aside on this. The fact that you're retired doesn't mean that you're retired from God. All right, And I hope that one of the things that you get is inspiration uh, when you come here, inspired to serve the rest of your days to see what you can do to advance the kingdom of God. I mean, every single one of you, I hope you do that. I know many of you, many of you are doing that, and you're taking the time that God has given you. You live to a point where, where you, you're, uh, you don't have to concern yourself with work. Well, now I hope you concern yourself with God's work. Uh, just as we see this with David. Uh, and so the first, this is the first time now we will hear about the prophet Nathan. Uh, and it's interesting when we see the, the prophet Nathan, and we look at the first verses, the first three verses, uh, and I just want to drill down on that, uh, because Nathan gives a bad response to David in the beginning. All right? And you'll see this in verses 1 to 3. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Wrong. Okay? And sometimes even the prophets of God don't consult with God Before they give a pronouncement. And this this is a heavy warning to all of us. Before you engage in any effort, any effort, I don't care if it's buying a house or selling a house or making determinations about your profession or about your family, you have to get on your knees and ask God for wisdom. Lord, what is your will? What is your will? what do I do? How do I uh, uh, go through this issue? Is it, is it within your will, Lord, that I sell my house? Is it within your will that I buy a bigger house? Is it within your will that I move on and take this job or go through this effort? And you ask God for wisdom. Now here, Nathan didn't do that because why? Because Nathan said, the hand of God's on this guy. This guy's anointed, Whatever this guy does is the will of God. But you see, even as you are anointed and chosen by God and put in a leadership position, it does not mean that everything that comes into your mind is God's will. It's not God's will. And the only way you can find God's will is to actually ask him, Lord, what is your will? And one of the things that I've learned early in my life as I tried to to bring God into every aspect of my life. And I tried, Uh, and I hope I, I did, and I hope I listened, and I know sometimes I didn't listen. But I would always say, God, Lord, if it's your will, open the door on this issue, make it clear, make it plain, and close the door if it's not. In fact, I would actually say slam the door, because being a type A personality, a closed door generally was an opportunity to kick it open. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. All right. I mean, I, I know who I'm speaking to. You understand this issue. A closed door? Mm, closed doors, really. That's just an opportunity for me to kick it open because God wants me to do that. No, wrong. Wrong. And I'm going to give you a perfect example how you apply this in your life. And I know this may, have, may uh, offend some of our real estate brokers, but I'm going to tell you that, that, that actually God will give you more business. And I got to a point in my life where, where I was going to buy... Uh, uh, a large home, and I was in a small home, and, and so I was in my 30s, and it got to the point where we were, I loved this house, I loved this house, but I didn't know whether it was God's will for me to buy it. And the, the person who I had known was a real estate broker and said, this house is going to go on the market shortly. This is a wonderful opportunity. This lady has just dropped the price by 25%. You, you know, you like this house. This is, this is her bottom line. It was X. This is her bottom line. She will not sell it for less than this. And at that, you're getting it at significantly under, under what it's worth. But she's had it appraised. And so Linda and I prayed about it. We prayed about it if it's God's will. And so God laid it on our heart that if it w- was his will, uh, he, they would sell it to us for $15,000 under that price. That was kind of, as we prayed, that's what kind of we both individually came to that conclusion. Uh, and so when I went back to the, to the uh, broker, I said to him, I love this house. I want this house. Uh, I said, but, but you may not understand this. You may not understand this, but this is, you know, I've prayed to God. Linda and I are, are Christians, and we wouldn't do anything without asking God. Well, and we believe that this, if this is God's will for us, the price that we would buy this house is at this, X, which was 15000 I said, let me make it even clearer to you. If you were to come back to me and say it's that price, we'll give it to you, but $0.10 cents more, I wouldn't take it. You understand? It's not about the money. It was about the submission to God of his will. And the only way I could ask his will is, is to put it like that, to bow and honor him and saying, Father, is this, now, don't go making a prayer in which you're slashing the price by 50%, all right? I mean, because now you're not honoring God. Now you're trying to steal something, all right? But the question becomes is, as, as you're in this process and you pray about it and God gives you wisdom, you come forward and you say that. Well, he said to me, she'll, she'll never do that. That's way, I, I, you know, I said, I understand it. And there's no hard feelings. I mean, really, that will only mean God didn't want us to have this. Well, don't you think that that's? A, she agreed that that was fair and that we closed and lived in that house for 33 years? Lived in that house for 33 years. And so any time, any time that I had to make a major decision, this is what we did. And this is not what Nathan did. He presumed that because he was dealing with a holy, godly man under the anointing of God... That everything that 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 man would want to do is within the will of God. Well, here's the thing, folks. You're good people. You're godly people. You're God's people. You've given your heart to God. But not everything that you want to do is God's will in your life. All right, not everything that you want to do. And coming to terms with the fact that there can be a disconnect, this is why we have this ongoing prayer communication with God. All right, Lord, I don't want to live my life separate from you. I want you to direct my steps. Ultimately, this is how we have full happiness. Uh, I, want to, I want you to tell me what you want me to do, and I want to submit my, my will. And so here, Nathan has spoken in the flesh. He was too quick to give the presumptive word from God, even though he was the prophet. And so, even the prophets make mistakes when they when they don't stay within the will of God. Even go- guys that have prophetic gifts make mistakes, and that and this is a lesson to you uh, and, as to how God wants you to live your life. Well, later that night, it didn't take long. Later that night, after David had given, uh, after Nathan had given the go ahead, uh. You know, In verses 5 to 7, the Lord came to Nathan and corrected him, corrected him. Uh, And if you read that there, it says, uh, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people of Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? This ought to be imprinted on the walls of every church in which a church leader decides we need a capital campaign to build a gigantic edifice. And I'm not knocking large churches. What I'm saying is you see the heart of God. God does not require extraordinary habitations to, to have his word. God does not need vast cathedrals or multi-million dollar buildings uh, in order to serve his word. Yes, God is looking to have a place where his people can gather But when we build some of these incredible edifices, are we really building it for God? Or are we building it for ourselves? I don't have to answer that. You let God speak to your heart about that. But you see what God said, you know, I never asked for a dwelling. I never asked for a place. I never had a place to dwell from the time that I brought you out of of Egypt. Uh, And so in this Uh, incredible passage, that uh, God makes three points uh, to Nathan. First, David is the wrong person on this. David isn't the one who God will choose to build him a temple. Much later, David will be told by God that his son Solomon will be that person. But here, uh, and, and in other passages, God makes that point in Chronicles. uh, God says to David, You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. That's a citation from 1 Chronicles, chapter 22. I'm not picking you to build my temple because you have been a warrior. You have fought for me, but you have shed too much blood. So much blood has been shed that you are not the person to do this. And yet you see the love of God, uh, because even though you are not to be the person to build the temple, but the more important call on your life is that you will be in the lineage of Jesus. And so God says you will be in the lineage of Jesus and your kingdom will be installed forever, because Jesus will be within the throne of your very DNA. Isn't it amazing how God says, you can't build a temple, but you'll be within the lineage of God. I mean, what a great God we have. And you see his mercy, elevating, seeing the heart of the man and elevating him in that sense. Um, and, And one of the things I admire about David is that if we were in David's shoes, how would we react to that? Here's how I'm going to give you an imitation of what many of us would say. Are you kidding me? I've killed myself for you. Look at all those battles I fought for you. I was out there fighting in every way, serving you, making sure that your kingdom remained intact. 15 years, I didn't do anything and Saul came after me. And now you pull the rug on me when it's time for me to build this temple. You don't give me this honor. Is that like something you think you might say? Does that sound like something the average man would say? And you see, that's not the average man. You see, when God likes you look at the cross, you say this, I don't need the honors. I don't need the praise. I don't need to be lifted up because I know I'm within your will, God. I know I'm within your will. And again, what a tremendous example for you. Even when you think that you ought to be honored or lifted up, or you're looking for somebody in your church to say you're doing a great job and maybe you don't get the praise, I'm going to give you the praise right now. You are doing a great job. God sees you. He sees what you're doing. Even if the very people that you're working for don't honor you, you are being honored in heaven. I'm going to tell you right now, flat out, the Bible makes it very clear. God sees your works, and there will come a day that God will honor those works. You're not saved because of those works but your salvation is proven through your faith in God. And you are a ministry to, the, to many, many people because of your faithfulness. So rest assured on that. You're getting, you're getting the thankfulness uh, from God. And I'd rather have the thankful, thankfulness from God than from man anyway. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Without a doubt. And so here you see, you're not the guy. You're not the guy. And then the next thing is, it's not the time. God does not, doesn't want a temple at this time. The tent is the symbol of God's ability to be with his people wherever they go. It is portable. And that's an important point to understand. God wants to emphasize that he's not necessarily in one locale. He is wh- wherever his spirit abides. Uh, and so, yes, it's great to have a place where you can come together together and worship God, but there's not uh, one spot where God is in residence all the time. Uh, And again, you are not the man. Uh, God hadn't commanded David or any previous shepherd or a leader of God's people to build a cedar temple such as David is proposing. This is something for which God desires to provide the initiative, not the man. God wants to move at God's timing, in order to, move, to create a temple, not at the timing of, of man. And, and so here's another lesson for us. So often when we get to places of power and authority, uh, we think somehow that whatever we want to do is okay with God. You understand that. Uh, you know, you get to a point where you're saying, well, I'm sold out to God. I want to serve God. Uh, and uh, I know that if this is God's will, that, that he, will, he will bless it. I went through this in my own life when God called me to start this Bible study. Uh, And, you know, after a couple years of severely questioning my own heart and God really drilling into me that what my purpose was for the the last years of my life, uh, starting when I was about 50, it became clear that God wanted me to start a Bible study in my house. I had recently moved into Port Royal. And so I thought, well, this is it. God wants to uh, really bring the community of Port Royal to Christ. He's going to use my Bible study to do this. And my dear friend Ralph is laughing over there because he lives in Port Royal, and he knows exactly what I'm talking about. So what did I do? I printed up 250 postcards. This is God's will. And I put them in every post office, every box around six blocks from the house, and I'm inviting them to come to a Bible study. Not one person came not one person came so what was that like well here's what that's like first of all it's unbelievably humbling the first question you go god what are you doing you i know you wanted me to do this i know you wanted this done and i'm inviting i'm inviting these people and not one person came not one person came. So the first question is, oh, is this God's will? Oh, yes, it's God's will. But it's, not, it's, it's God's Bible study, not John Garippa's Bible study. The fact that John Garippa put the postcards out and invited people didn't mean that that was within God's will. And so really, as I later came to understand, as people from all over the town through word of mouth started to come, and at one point, now we're over 200 people, at one point we were at 50 people in the house and the, the street is clogged up from cars. You can imagine it, clogged up with cars and people coming to the house. Uh, and, and yet I recognize that probably it was God's will that the house should be a lighthouse to other people in that area, that they would know something is going on. Some, some of the guys told me that they would be bringing their Bibles to the house And people on the street would say, hey, what's going on? What is going on down that house? Oh, there's a Bible study. Ooh, okay, I'll make sure I stay away from that. (laughs) I'll stay away from that, could be contagious. But here's the point, folks. You understand how God's will is. It was my, my will that this would immediately be inundated by people in the area, and God said, forget it. That's your will. That's not my will. My will is that you serve me and I will bring those people who, who God predetermines he wants to be brought to Jesus Christ. So this is an important lesson for you. In every aspect of your life, ask him for his will. Battle his will. Don't presume that because you're a godly person that you're sold out for God, that you know what? He wants you to go to Africa, all right? I mean, I know a lot of you think, I, I gotta go to Africa. Maybe it is your, God's will for you to go to Africa, all right, But I would pray before I got on the boat. Yeah. <laughs> I would pray before I got on the boat and ask God's will about that because it might just not be his will. Because what we have to find and what you'll see is that often our own internal desires to what? Elevate ourselves. We don't even articulate it that way. Oh, yes. He's a godly man. Look at the work that he's doing. And and here's the thing Uh, whenever people say that to you, that you're being used by God, the first thing to do is to bow your head and point up. Bow your head and point up. No, it's not me. It's not me. God may be using me, all right, for a time. He may be uh, selecting me to be a messenger, but it's never about the messenger. It's never about the messenger. It's always about him. Uh, And if you remember that and bow in submission to God, great things will happen in in your life as God will use you in so many ways. And so now David has now been given this message. Uh, And so we look at the response and we look for David's, the plan, God's plan for David's life. Uh, And this has become known as the Davidic, the Davidic covenant. Uh, in which God gave his prophetic word through Nathan uh, that David's kingdom would reign forever. Uh, And so let's look at this. First of all, uh, God says, I'm elevating your name in verses uh, 8 and 9. This is what the Lord God Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be a ruler over my people of Israel I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on the earth. What a promise this is. You've served me. You've submitted to me. You've honored to me. Now I will make your name great among the greatest men, names of men in the world. Uh, and you see that. And so David, as we see here, and we're going to see later, will achieve great renown as emperor and overlord uh, over most of the eastern Mediterranean area. It is an amazing rise for one man who began as the youngest boy in a family of shepherds. The 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 lowest of the low, when you understand even the role of shepherds. And you see that. So you see this. And so what else does it promises in terms of the Davidic uh, covenant? It says, I will prepare a secure homeland for my people. They will have security. They will have peace. That's in verses 10 and 11. Quote, and I will provide a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I have appointed leaders over my people Israel. And so there it is. God has given them a period of testing and a period of trial. Now he's promising them to give them security, peace at home through the Davidic covenant. Uh, And we have seen this uh, as we we study God's word. And then, and then the third part of this is peace. Peace, David. I will give you rest from all your enemies. That's verse 11. And so Saul's entire reign was spent in constant warfare. David's first few years are also consumed with warfare. And yet now we will see David rise in an era of international peace. Uh, and so... Now we see the Davidic uh, covenant come to fruition. And now God makes the greatest promise, the greatest covenant, the promise of a perpetual throne for David's descendants. And that's in verses 11 to 17. And and these three promises constitute a tremendous blessing uh, that will be experienced by David and his people. But, but these next promises talk about God will grant in the future. Uh, and these promises will bring tremendous blessing, not just to David, but through the Jewish people. First, dynasty. Dynasty, and that's in verse 11. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Now, let's understand that translation. The term house in Hebrew has a double meaning as it does in Greek and English. David uses it in a material sense that is a physical house for the Lord, a temple, but God has a much broader metaphysical and spiritual understanding of the word. And he uses it to describe a dynastic family household, meaning into eternity for years and years and years. Second, He's promised at this point that he will have a son who will build the temple. You yourself will not build the temple, but I'm going to have one of your sons build the temple. That's in verses 12 and 13. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. Your son will build it, not you your son, because he will not have the blood on his hands that you have because you were a warrior king. And then what about the eternal, everlasting kingdom? What did God promise? And this is unbelievable. When you think that God looks at, it, at his creation and says, I will, I will make your kingdom everlasting. I will make it for eternity. Uh, and that's in verse... 13, quote, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This last part of this covenant is absolutely extraordinary. A a kingdom that will last forever. You know, most dynasties don't last more than a few centuries at the most, but the kingdom that God reveals will be eternal. Well, how can it be eternal? How could it be eternal when Israel didn't exist for 1900 years? It's eternal because it is represented by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Do you understand this? And so if you have any uh, doubts about whether David is connected to Jesus Christ, end it today. It's clear. This is the word of God. This is a dynasty that lasts forever through Jesus Christ. And that's why when we see this promise, that is why we as Christians must have a burden for the people of Israel. All right? Let me make that absolutely fundamentally clear. This is not a political issue. It is a spiritual issue. It is a spiritual issue. These are God's people. They are his chosen people. Right now, God has temporarily put a blinding on institutional Judaism and Israel, but the day will come when that blinding will be lifted, and these people are going to become evangelists. I know you find that hard to believe, but I can assure you that that day will come, and one of the things that has really lifted my heart is when the president has just moved uh, the capital, in terms of our embassy, into Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is where Jesus is going to come back in this world. He is going to alight on the Mount of Olives. That's where he's going to be. It's going to be in Jerusalem. So we might as well set the scales right now. No sense waiting around, right? No sense waiting around. This, this whole message uh, resonates to me as I recognize what God is doing through David and eventually the Jewish people, and what our responsibility is as Gentile believers, okay? I hope that you never say an anti-Semitic word. I hope because you are violating God's will in a very serious way. Look, we're Christians. We aren't supposed to speak ill of any group of people. But when it comes to Jewish people, there's a double whammy on it, all right? They are God's people. Uh, Never forget, Jesus was a Jew, All right, never forget. And so many Christians seem to forget that. And so you see this everlasting uh, covenant. And there are so many psalms. There are so many psalms. I I researched this. I think there are 15 psalms or so that talk about the uh, covenant. But there's one I wanted to choose. Turn to Psalm 18, just to pick one out. Psalm 18, verse 46. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. And notice rock is capitalized. Exalted be God, my Savior. He is the God who avenges me, who subdues nations under me, who saves me from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From violent men, you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you among the nations, O Lord. I will sing praises to your name He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Wow, what an insight into this man's heart. And you see uh, how he understands who God is. Praise be to my rock. An understanding of of God and how important God was to David. And so as you, you looked at this, at this covenant, you realize now that if, if this covenant promises that it will be forever, there's only one way it can be forever, and that's through Jesus Christ. And let me give you an insight also into uh, the heart of God and how God looks at the heart. Here he says to David, I can't let you build the temple because you have bloody hands, but I will let you be within the lineage of my son, Jesus Christ. And look at who else is in the lineage of uh, Jesus Christ. Rahab, the prostitute. If you ever begin to wonder about how God has a heart for the lost, look exactly at who he had honored to put within the lineage of the Messiah. God is not a respecter of persons. He looks at the heart of people. And that's important for you to know. He looks at your heart. He examined your heart. And so now in these next verses, in verses 14 through 16, uh, they spell out the terms of the everlasting kingdom. But one of the things that God is saying is that there is no blank check. There's no get out of jail free card. All right. You don't do everything that you think you can get away with without a reprimand. And this is important for you to understand. You are God's people. God has chosen you. You want to serve at his will. You want the blessings of God and the blessings of righteousness. And he's promised that to you. He will give you everything you need, not necessarily everything you want. He will pour it into your life. And even in, as God comes to terms with this dynasty that will last forever, he makes a promise. Uh, and And it's very clear here. Uh, And this is in verses 14 through 16. And take this lesson well, because I think this resonates with us today, how God looks at us today. Verse 14, I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. What does that mean? It means this. It means that when we fall out of the will of God, Things will intervene in our life. Some of them will not be good things. Some of them will be painful things, all right? And, and when you look and say, why, why is this happening? I would say to you, get on your knees and say, God, Lord, am I in your will? Am I following your will? Am I, is my path within your will? Is my life in accord with your will? Am I submitting myself to your will? Or is there something about my life that is not in accord with your will? Because even though he promises to bring you home, promises that you will be within the kingdom of God, it does not mean that you can uh, act recklessly outside of his will. This is a big deal. A lot of us as Christians don't recognize this. You know, we want to sit around the campfire and and roast marshmallows, and sing kumbaya, we're all going to heaven. Yes, you're going to heaven, you're saved. But along the way, God's got a rod, and he's going to punish you from time to time. I told you that growing up, all right? My father never spared the rod. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Never spared the rod. I told you the story that my father, before he went full-time in the pastorate, would work in a foundry. Can you imagine working in a foundry? Exhausted, and the the bronze uh, castings actually coming out of his pores. And so a poor man would work there. He'd come home at about 4.30 at night, exhausted. And and my mother would be ready to detail a list of transgressions that I had committed. (laughs) A list of transgressions, all right? A list of transgressions. So I knew that from the place that my father parked his car in the street, to the door of the front, was maybe 55 feet. And so I needed to present my argument to my father about how my mother was a liar, basically. <laughs> it was a liar. And I believe that helped to make me a good lawyer, because I was able to synthesize my thoughts. Dad, you're going to hear a lot of things. It's all a pack of lies. Don't believe she's not telling the truth. I didn't do any of this stuff. Don't buy it. And My father would go in, my, talk to my mother, and inevitably, my father would come out and whack me, all right? <laughs> whack me, just get, you get whacked. Now, here's the thing. Did I ever think my father didn't love me? No, and I hope that's the case for most of you, that even though your father would discipline you, you knew he loved you, not at the time that the whacks came, but later when you reflected about the way you were raised and about the culture that you were raised in, and it's the same with God. He's saying to them, I'm going to keep you on the straight and narrow path because that's where the blessings come. When you stay within the righteousness of God, when you walk within my will, and that's important to understand this. And so when you come and understand this, you see that this is the relationship of sonship. This is what God has told us. He is our father. Uh, and I want, I want to drill this home to you. You are serving God. You are within the will of God. And as you are within the will of God, God wants you to walk that path. And sometimes what does that mean? It means discipline. And how does discipline come? You know, it doesn't come like from an avenging angel. It's like, it doesn't come like from a meteor. It comes from the hand of other men. God has done that constantly There were all these militant nations that were surrounding Israel, and effectively God used them to effectuate his punishment. That's how it is. And so when things go awry, when difficulties come into your life, just ask God, Lord, am I where you want me to be? Okay? Am I walking within your will? Am I serving you? And so you see this uh, as uh, uh, God's will and how how he treats us and even how he treats the man who he's speaking about, who eventually will be in the very lineage of Jesus. If he talks to David this way, who will be in the lineage of Jesus, how much more us? How dare we think that we don't fall victim to these same things? I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Reflect on those words. Do not be angry at God or despise his discipline. The fact that he loves you, the fact that he loves you, shows that that he disciplines you. You know, if you didn't care about something, you wouldn't intervene. But if you cared so much and loved so much, then you do intervene. And this is how you understand the will of God. You don't resent those rebukes. You accept them as his will because you recognize it proves that you are his child. You are his son. And so God will not reject David or the dynasty because of of his sin or his descendant's sin, he will punish him severely, but he will not remove the dynastic promise from the kingship as did Saul's uh, dynasty. Very different. Why? Because one man was sold out completely to God, and the other man was sold out to himself. And when you lift God and honor God in every way and bow... To God, you see this. And now look, we know that God is going to punish David. We're going to see very shortly an example of that. Uh, And when David will sin with Bathsheba, that terrible sin, and there will be be chastisement. And in David's case, uh, it gets even worse because he will never escape family problems. Never. Uh, And he will even suffer a revolutionary coup by his own son Absalom who will seek to divide the kingdom, to take the kingdom away, his own flesh and blood would turn against him. Why? Because David violated God's will, because he sinned. We don't escape the judgments of God. We don't escape sin, uh, and yet we understand that God loves us incredibly so uh, and promises us so much, and so the, the result of this Davidic Uh, covenant is remarkable. And you'll see that even as you study Israel, because the kingdom split under Solomon's son, uh, Rehoboam. It splits the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The split off from the northern kingdom went through nine different royal dynasties before it ended in exile by the Assyrians in 700 BC. The southern kingdom of Judah, uh, on the other hand, which is where David was uh, interposed. On the other hand, that experienced just a single dynasty through approximately 400 years between David, from the time that David ascended the throne until the final exile in Babylon. And you can read all that if you're interested in 2 Kings chapters 24 to 25. And so the promise remains, the promise remains intact, even though the Jewish nation was dispersed, even though it didn't exist for almost 2,000 years and only came to bear finally in 1948. But I promise you this, that promise that David's kingdom will last forever resides with Jesus Christ. And he will assume responsibility. He will ascend to this world. It will be in Jerusalem and he will rule forever. Even as he rules now, we will continue this study next week. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the words that you've given us, Lord. I ask you that they be developed further through the Holy Spirit in the hearts of our dear men. Protect them this week, Lord, in everything that they do, and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.